What's going on, NFL football fans? This is the NFL All 32 podcast presented by Football Game Plan and the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. David Hasegan here with Troy Anthony and Alex Marinoni. No czar the playbook on the podcast today. Emery Hunt, uh, well, he, he says he's scouting folks at the College Gridiron Showcase. I have a feeling he's just down there for the weather in, in uh, Daytona Beach, Florida. But I, I don't know. I think that might just be me. <laughs> he's he's <laughs> trying to get a tan. That's <laughs> exactly. With all due seriousness, though, folks, follow Emery on Twitter uh, and follow the Football Game Plan podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. He's got a lot of great features that are coming out of there including your boy, Alex Michael Bandy. I did. I heard that one. That, <laughs> so, was, a, that was a good one. So we've got he's got a lot of interviews going up and a lot of small school guys that might be ending up in the NFL next season. So check that out on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just go to Football Game Plan in the podcast section and search it there. And follow Emery on Twitter for any updates from the College Gridiron Showcase and all of his scouting that will be going on over the next couple of months at FBall Game Plan on Twitter. But it's just the three of us, and it's time to talk the wild card round. And this was one of the most entertaining wild card rounds i think i can remember in a long long time definitely was i don't think there was one game that was in question all of them were exciting damn near to the end two games going to overtime like we i mean we saw the overtime rules going into effect some that might have to be changed another rule change potentially coming we'll we'll get there um we saw a little bit of everything we saw two 40 year old quarterbacks step into the limelight (laughs) in two very different ways so we got a lot to talk about but we're going to go right in order folks i'm going to break these games down a little bit more than we normally do just because there's only four of them and well they were exciting from start to finish and we'll start in just in time order in the afc texans taking on the bills they say you know you know the cliche game of two halves this was a game of two halves this this game was being dominated by buffalo i mean from start to finish they were all over houston they had no answers and then jj watt got a sack and somehow that just flipped a switch houston goes on a big run they get it get it overtime and they win it 22 19 at home they were the only home team spoiler alert who got a win in the wild card round outstanding comeback from houston or did buffalo shoot themselves in the foot I think Buffalo shot themselves in the foot in this one. I mean, um, last week when we talked about keys to victory, my one key vict- to key vic- blah, my one key to victory for Buffalo was to stop the run, and they did that fairly well for majority of the game. But then Deshaun Watson got involved in the run, and after that, it was over. Yeah, it was almost like they took a page out of the Bills' playbook. After a certain point, you saw Josh Allen in the first couple of drives, especially that one big 40-yard run on the first drive, looked like they're, they're just going to throw everything out. Allen, they're going to run the power game with him. And then how did Deshaun Watson do? You know, he comes right back down the field and runs a power for himself for his first touchdown in the game. It, it, it was one of those bizarre games where I call, what I call it basically New England-Alabama syndrome. If you're leading against New England or Alabama at halftime, for whatever reason, you feel you have to change because you think those adjustments are coming from the other side because they're geniuses. Buffalo outcoached themselves. Yeah. They basically said, okay, we've been successful for a half. We've dominated them in every facet of the game. Let's change everything we just did because they're going to change everything. And they shot themselves yeah. in the foot. Meanwhile, Deshaun Watson just goes off in the second half. He had a great game, 20-25. Didn't have an outstanding game plan. And Houston, I mean, again, it was J.J. Watt, the inspirational leader. You know, you talk about him being injured all the time. He does stuff like this. This is the difference. Yeah, and he comes back in this one. You see him wearing that huge device over his left pec oh, and his yeah. arm. He looks like a like a robot out there. So. <laughs> but, no, that's exactly what it was. Bills dominated the first half. Uh, Hughes, uh, D- Deshaun Watson had the wor- worst first half of his career. I believe they only had 80-something yards going yeah, into something the half. Like that. And Buffalo had 200 over 240 yards. We're talking a 3-to-1 ratio alone in the first half. And then the second half was just all the Texans. Bills couldn't do anything. Yeah, big credit, though, to the Bills' defense at the beginning. They got to Watson, and he had seven sacks on the day. I think at least six of them had to come in the first half. He was, he was rattled. He was, and he looked rattled. And um, and But he, he's a big-time player, man. He stepped up like, it, like he didn't just get sacked six times and rushed like 15 times in the first half. He just owned it in the second half and did his thing. Um, but I agree with you. The minute I saw Josh Allen starting to take dropbacks, like five to seven-step dropbacks, it's not his game. And, and I wasn't, that wasn't even me of like – just not that I've hated on Josh Allen, I'm just not a huge believer in him, but I wasn't like even more concerned with the fact that he can't handle that. It was 
JJ Watt's back. Like, yeah. Merciless is on the other side. Like, you can't just do what you're doing. Quick throws, quick outside runs, and give the ball to Devin Singletary. That man was a monster on Saturday, yeah. and they faded away from that, which was incredible because the dude was getting – that dude had to have about 70 yards after contact of yards. Josh Allen was doing what the Baltimore Ravens do with Lamar Jackson. Right. They let him play his game, and in the first half it worked. And then the second half they got conservative, and they said, no, you're a quarterback again. Drop back in the pocket. Wait for wide receivers to get open. Don't even think about bailing out, even though it worked for the entire first half. Just stop doing it. It makes no sense. But all credit to the Texans. This is a team that people really kind of didn't give a chance to in this one. I got to give all credit in this one to Deshaun Watson because he literally put the team on his back. I mean, sitting here looking at the stats, if I told you that Buffalo had 425 yards of offense, dominated time of possession, and had seven sacks, there's no way you're sitting here telling me that the Texans are moving on to the divisional round. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking the whole game because I thought the Bills were going to run away with this at some point, and then the Texans made their run, but then it seems like the Texans just did everything they could to give it back to the Bills. It was like you could run the clock out. You can convert this third down, commit this fourth down, and they just they couldn't do it. And the Bills hung around, hung around. And I, I just kept thinking, like, if they lose this game, like, Bill O'Brien's got to be on the hot seat. Like, how many divisional Saturday games are you going to play? Like, you're never gonna, you're, you're never good enough to host a game, right? You keep making the playoffs, and you never make it out of the first round. Sometimes you get to that second round, and then it's a no shot, you know? Like if you can't like what when are you gonna just own it? And when it was sixteen nothing, I'm like this guy's gone. And then all of a sudden, Deshaun, Deshaun Watson. Watson. Yeah, exactly. Yep. You know this is no longer. Uh, I forgot who was starting their playoff game in the past. Like was this is Matt, Matt Schaub. Matt Schaub. Yeah. Okay, so okay. it's not Schaub anymore. Or uh, who was the uh, Brian Hoyer? That was probably the year that <laughs> if they had a, if they had a quarterback that year, maybe they would have made like real noise because the defense had clown. Like, they were stacked on defense, and then. Brian Hoyer throws five picks, I think it was in the first half. We just had a Hoyer and a Shop reference in our <laughs> podcast inside the first ten minutes. What did we come it's to? It's Houston Texans playoff football, man. You got to talk history. <laughs> That's their <laughs> recent history. You got to talk about the history. Uh, I, I mean, Houston, it's one of those situations where you can see the potential of them in the next round causing an upset. But at the same time, you're like, yeah, they're not good enough in a way. But we said that at halftime of this game, and then it completely flipped on its head. If that defense is healthy, they keep this team in the game. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, they're a weird team when it comes to that because, like, they're the team that, like, when they were, they played the Chiefs this year, and you're like, shootout, baby, here it comes, 56-49 mm-hmm. type game, and then, and it was for the most part, the Texans didn't keep up, but, you know, fair. They put up 48 or whatever yeah. it was, the Chiefs. Yeah, yeah. But then you go, then they go and play, like, the Jags, and it's like, 13-12 final score went on because of a two-point conversion. It's like, what are you? <laughs> like, what's your yeah, identity? Exactly. Like, but the one thing that they do is they play up to their talent. So now they're going up against the Chiefs next week. We'll preview that later. But I wouldn't be surprised, you know, like yeah. if yeah. Deshaun Watson does for four fifty, runs for a hundred, and all of a sudden it's a it's a shootout. This Deshaun Watson story is one to to definitely take interest in because postseason is what legends are made of, you know. Yeah. And if this is his, if this is a stamp on his resume for what he did in this game, ne- next week should be entertaining to say the least Yeah, it's going to be very entertaining and let's get to more entertainment that was the other afc game but uh, three of the four games were extremely entertaining all four of them really were but three of the four especially and this one was in new england it's weird to see new england in the wild card round that was the first thing that we noticed here they're taking on a tennessee team that's coming in with a lot of momentum after a coaching change i just did not expect the pats to lose this soon you know what I mean? Like, this is where you think, okay, they're going to get one. They're going to at least get one. They're at Foxborough. It's it's misting. It's foggy. It's cold. It's not. It's New England it's, Patriot weather. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it's Belichick, Brady, you know, Brady magic. And it didn't happen. The Tennessee Titans win 20-13. to There are storylines all over this game that we have to get to, but first reaction to their first home playoff loss is 2012? Craziness. I don't. I don't think it's that crazy. I honestly don't because um, I'm not going to say that I called the Titans in this game because I yeah. definitely didn't. I thought that they definitely had a shot because this New England offense it was nothing compared to what we were used to. It was very underwhelming this season, and the Titans just exploited that. They held them in check and they did it. What they did, what they've been doing the past few weeks. I mean, they've 
arguably the hottest team next to Baltimore yeah. in the league. They shut the they shut the Patriots offense down and Derrick Henry went beast mode 2.0 on on the Patriots. Yeah, speaking of that, I was very shocked that Derrick Henry was able to have that type of game not because of his talent level but because what is Belichick known for? Yeah. Take mm-hmm. away the number one option, force the other options to Especially beat you. Especially the run game. Especially the run game. It always run game first, then take away your best receiver. Like you would have I would have probably I mean you know, I'm not, you know, Belichick's Belichick, so I'm not, like, trying yeah, to compare. Yeah, don't but get into would, his mind. You that's would, that's you elaborate. Would, you would think, like, <laughs> you would think he would stuff the box with eight, right? Like, the whole game and be like, go ahead, Tannehill, beat me. But, he like, he didn't do that. He didn't run the cover zero blitz. He didn't do what he normally did. It seemed like he was just kind of reacting to Henry and just kind of hoping it didn't kill him so much. It was, it was weird because, like, that's one of the, was one of the storylines was former player against the former coach, mm-hmm. Mike Vrabel, which I – Vrabel, I give him so much credit because he outdueled Belichick mentally. That whole time wasting thing in the fourth quarter was some of the most excellent, brilliant coaching, and I have never seen Belichick that angry. Not with a referee, but that angry in period. <laughs> yeah. At another coach for what he was doing to him. I have never seen that before in my life. But again, Vrabel was always kind of that forgotten guy, though. Like we were talking about the coach of the year candidates. Even when he was playing, he was the. He was. It guy. was Teddy Bruschi's team. It was Teddy Bruschi on the mic. Mike Vrabel was right there next to him. Who cares? Okay, you got ten tackles today. Cool. Vrabel was that utility knife. Exactly. But even now, as coach of the year candidates are coming up, who's talking about Vrabel? Nobody. And he deserves a ton of credit because he completely outdid him. Not to mention what he's done with Ryan Tannehill. His career was dead and buried. It was over. He was coming to Miami to be a third string. And now he's leading them into the divisional round. Yeah, I mean, the Patriots were totally lost in this one, I think. Even going back toward the first half, when you got first and goal, what was it, at their own two-yard line? At the two-yard yeah. line? Yeah. And they don't get it in. Now, who's, who's play calling is that? Is that McDaniels? Is that Brady? We'll never know, but... That's the Patriots. That was the Patriots' offense this season. But that was, and that was also a linebacker at fullback, yeah. which <laughs> Alex and I were talking about this before we came on the yeah. air. Vrabel's like, "Oh hell no!" You're not. He, was, <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he was not letting that man beat him. If <laughs> no. anyone's going to score, it's not that guy. And I, you saw it. He was getting chipped. He was getting double eyed. I was loved it. Uh, and I was thinking, and I was thinking last week when we were doing when I was doing my best bets, and I'm like, you know how Belichick has the success. Even though Vrabel won in, in the regular season last year, right. um, uh, Belichick's had success against his former uh, coaches. But I'm thinking, I'm like, this is this is this the first time that a former player is now coaching up against him, a guy that's played mm. with him for as long? Because I'm thinking, when you close against these other coaches, take away Brian Flores this year and uh, and O'Brien, but before that, he's owned. You know, he'll give up that one win maybe. but like, Mangini, yeah, we saw he gave it with Patricia beat him last season, didn't Patricia, he? Patricia, I think, got him once. But, it's, but it, it was that but was, only once. But it, right, yeah. and it was never the case. And then Belichick would always take care of business after that. Maybe, yeah. you know, the coaches go with their mindset. This is how we're going to beat him. And then he just adjusts, you know. Yeah. But this is the first time a player, I feel like, what, like a guy that was as a player and was a prominent player, a guy that he trusted to play both sides of the ball, was a coach up against him. And you saw... I mean, I don't think any coaches that come in are rattled at all, but Vrabel just looked like this is my home. Like, Vrabel was, doesn't was, give like, a damn. Yeah, he looked like <laughs> like this is like not only am I not afraid of you, but I cannot wait for this moment. Like it's just kind of like and you saw that in his team. You saw it yeah. in Logan Ryan and Harmon and some of these other Patriot players that are ex Patriot players that they were just like, No. Like no, Deion Lewis, it. Deion Lewis, I, I, he looked like he took a step they back have. the last couple of years, and a couple, he only touched the ball a couple of times, but he looked angry, you know, when he <laughs> yeah. was running the ball. Oh yeah, I mean the Titans are what Patriots 2.0, are they not with all I mean, the players? They might as well be and now. Else? And honestly, let's let's think about it. I mean, if you really want to dig deep, he he had uh, Bledsoe Belichick when he first started, and this no name, forgotten Big Ten quarterback that he just thrusts in there, and they go on this magical run to the Super Bowl. I don't know. It sounds kind of similar to the Ryan Tannehill story, <laughs> well, except just a little more seasoned. We'll talk about no names at wide receiver. Only two guys had multiple catches in this game. They were Anthony Ferkser and Michael Pruitt were the only two guys who had more than one catch for Tennessee. Derrick Henry had one. Janu Smith had one. Deion Lewis had one. Who are these people? I mean, take a look at Tannehill's numbers. <laughs> it's just like Tannehill, Tannehill outdueled Belichick going 8 of 15 for 72 yards. With a pick and a touchdown. <laughs> That's why you know that the coaching was just 
on another scale. And we're not even going to talk about, we're not going to go into the stupid, oh, is Brady going to move? Is he going to retire? Brady's going to be playing quarterback for the Patriots next season. He's going to be there. I'll, I can guarantee if you that 90% of the, the time. The only way this should be a story is if if Garoppolo was still there or Brissett. And there's right. like, okay, right. there's a legitimate... I can't say name. that. I can't say that because, I, granted, he is a rookie, but Stidham, in his time that he did play in the preseason and stuff, he looked very, very good. I don't know. So if there is yeah. a time, if you are going to move on, obviously they still have Stidham under contract next for the next few seasons. But if you are going to move on from Brady, it can, it could be this season. They need weapons on that offense. They need weapons on that offense. Yeah. And I don't see Brady taking a major discount to come back. He's still going to be in the 20s. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing. I mean, they've got a good running back in Sonny Michel, but he's not a game-breaker. Uh, I mean, losing Gronk, we've talked about that to no end. Really, it doesn't matter with wide receivers, though, because Brady's going to find them anyway. I mean, he's throwing he didn't He didn't this season. And I was very not as much. I, was, I mean, granted, Edelman did have 100 catches, but Edelman not, is Edelman. But not, but not when it counted in this game, yeah. too. we got to talk about that with Edelman. Right, he had man. a couple drops. Yep. And mm-hmm. I was very shocked. In the, I know he hasn't really been producing these last couple of weeks, but Mohamed Sanu, because this is a guy that played in the Super Bowl like with yeah. the Falcons. It was part of a very dynamic offense. This is a guy that you looked at as a solid number two wide receiver across the NFL. And this year, he looked like, like Philip Dorsett looked more – like capable in this offense yes he's been in the offense longer but he's looked like the more capable receiver just from a, a, a talent standpoint like Sanu kind of looked a little lost yeah but for me I can't really put that on Sanu because when you're playing playing with Brady it's you never know who's going to be the guy that gets it done like you never know Brady normally has that one solid receiver that he trusts to the right. death of him who right now it's Julian Edelman and everybody else is just hit or miss consistently right. yeah I mean because like when when Pat signed Amendola no one thought Amendola was going to be the number one. No one thought Edelman was going to be a number one receiver anywhere. And Brady turned him into one. Yeah. But I think that's what I'm more looking at is that, like, yeah. you saw, like, Amendola was out of the injury history. Chris Hogan, who the hell is this lacrosse player? <laughs> you know, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, Sanu's a legit name. This is going to be great, you know, and then it just wasn't. It was By the like, way, wow. it was I good lo- for, like, two games. I, yeah, I, yeah. I love how Antonio Brown's like, see, every team that I – was rejected by is out of the playoffs or lost and it's just like shut up dude by the way you yeah. do have a, one fun fact though before we move to the nfc games last the three quarterbacks right. to win in the postseason in foxborough in foxborough against brady belichick were now recently ryan Tannehill. before him mark sanchez before him joe flacco talk about the list of elite <laughs> right there and, and you said it too before when was the last time the patriots Ended with back-to-back losses. Yeah. Never mind to Ryan Fitzpatrick and Ryan Tannehill in back-to-back weeks. Yeah, I think the wild. dynasty's over, man. The dynasty <laughs> might, whether or not Brady stays or not, it might be done. Let's move if, to Sunday. Hold on, hold on. Those okay. those three or the two previous quarterbacks didn't they make it to the AFC Championship? One won the Super Bowl. Oh no. Yeah, Flacco won the Super Bowl that year. Interesting. Uh, hey. Intr- I think we might have and someone honestly, having a hot take. And, and not, not to say anything, but it wasn't Sanchez's fault. They lost that AFC Championship game either. No, so. it was not. Let's move. <laughs> <laughs> let's, before we talk about uh, controversy here, let's move into the NFC and let's talk Saints-Vikings. Because nothing, nothing has ever happened that has been controversial between these two teams ever in the history of football. Oh, man. Um, to say that we were skeptical of... Kirk Cousins and Minnesota coming into this game would be a mild understatement because in big moments, he doesn't step up. The only reason I gave him a chance in hell is because the game was at 1 o'clock and not at 7, to be perfectly (laughs) honest with you. But this was a New Orleans team that was all guns blazing. They were rolling through into into the postseason. They could not be stopped for the last three or four weeks, and they completely lay an egg in the biggest game that they needed to have they lose 26-20 in overtime on yet another controversial play. We'll get to that play in a little bit, but let's talk about this New Orleans offense because they looked completely lost in this game. What happened? Was this the purple people eaters that got reincarnated? What happened here? They definitely did. I mean, the whatever Zimmer did with that defense to to completely confused Peyton and Breeze was genius because, you know, Peyton is top three head coach in the league, you know? Oh, yeah, well... <laughs> pew, pew, pew. <laughs> Peyton, is, Peyton is top three head coach in the league, and Drew Breeze is one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever do it, top ten in my mind. Um, mm, hmm. He wasn't last week. Mm. <laughs> pew, pew. But, no, um, switching Daniil Hunter to the middle, sort of like the, the old-school Giants NASCAR mm. package, was... 
was a genius move on the Vikings' behalf because Daniil Hunter was in the backfield 24-7 yesterday, making Drew Brees' night a living hell. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think, you know, in, in all honestness, honestness, wow, there's a good word to start the day. Kirk Cousins played really well. He did. That's he the did. thing. He it was a role reversal. Played, he it was really a role really, really well. And Dalvin Cook is just a monster, though, for Minnesota. He's going to be huge for them going down the stretch. I think ultimately that was a difference. He only averaged a 3.4 a clip at Dalvin Cook, but he had a lot of big runs early, and he was able to finish those drives, those two drives in the yep. red zone. And that's the that's the big difference. The, that's a part of the Saints offense that they were missing in Mark Ingram that yes Murray's been all right all year but he's not Mark Ingram level when you get down into the red zone not that they got down there much but when they did you you have Kamara who's a nice back but he's not a guy that's going to just pound it in like Dalvin Cook did um and yeah this Saints offense like joking aside you think of the top five plays of this game four of them came from Taysom Hill that that was Mm -hmm. the point I was about to make is that the biggest thing with this one and I love Sean Payton Sean Payton screwed up this game Completely, he because did. every big play was Taysom Hill. Passing, running, receiving. You give him five to ten more touches in the second half, this game doesn't go to overtime. New Orleans wins this thing in regulation easily. Yeah, there was there was the, the one drive when Taysom Hill, he had the big run, um, and then I think it was the next play. It's a 50-yard pass. 50-yard pass. Yeah. yeah, and then he comes out the game. They, granted, they did score a touchdown on that drive. Yes, yeah, I but think they did. But still, he was electric in this game. And then there was another drive where he comes in. He's doing work for them, doing work for them. Then, like, uh, the next player to Breeze fumbles, and they yep. end up losing possession of it. But not even just that. Like, the interception at the end of the second half, and then the Vikings go in for the touchdown. And the just a, just a flip of the score right there. The, the Saints could have went in with the lead, but now they're going in down. Yeah. To the half. It's yeah. just huge turning points in an NFL game. Any one point can shift momentum in football. Everybody knows this. And there was just multiple times during the game where Breeze didn't step up to the plate and momentum would shift back to the Vikings. And that I, I said, and that was and not to like throw more gasoline on the fire from our talk last week, but that was that was pretty much my point when talking about Drew Brees last week, and that's why I didn't view him as a top 10 quarterback. In my eyes, he's a stat compiler because in the end, what you're going to look at, if you didn't watch the game, you're going to look at, oh, wow, he was 26-33. That's highly, you know, he got through a touchdown, but for 208 yards. Vikings got pressure on him. I'm not going to ignore that. I'm not going to be like he had a clean pocket all game and still couldn't do it. He was being harassed, but... What did the Vikings do? They didn't do anything special. The D-line won, and they took away the deep ball. They took away any big play opportunity, and they forced Breeze to meticulously make his way up the field, and they knew their defense could tighten up down below. And this was my whole point is that Drew Breeze, when it comes to the big-time games, take away a Super Bowl run. I know it's a big deal. He won a Super Bowl. I'm not not trying to end that, but in 19 years, he had one moment. Yeah, well, the I thing, wouldn't say all of that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, if you take away, if you go back to last season, he got robbed. He, it should have been a Patriots. Hold on, Super hold Bowl. on, hold on. But what were we talking about last year when we were trying to say you're putting the game in the refs' hands? What did? What were the three plays before that? Pass incomplete. Pass incomplete. Pass incomplete. Didn't run the clock down. Sean Payton didn't care about the clock. Top three well, coaches. And and he couldn't complete three <laughs> passes. And then it came down to throwing that throw, relying on the pass. Yes, blatant pass interference. But had to rely on the pass interference to move them on. I mean, that just you don't see that. There's Tom, a, there's Tom a, Brady and Peyton yeah. Manning convert. There's a, there's a lot of things with that. Drew Brees is one thing he is not is a rusher either. That's the biggest problem with him because I'm look I'm just looking at the stat line for Taysom Hill. He was only one of one, but for 50 yards. Four carries for 50 yards rushing, 12 and a half yards a carry. Kamara was 7 for 21. Latavius Murray was 5 for 21. And then he's also getting receptions in there. And we're not even talking about Teddy Bridgewater. He had the reception th- for a touchdown. I think Teddy Bridgewater, if he's in this game, probably makes a couple more plays. In I, terms of running the football, you need do, a mobile quarterback. I say, I think in this game when you saw – I mean, obviously you're not going to make the switch, right? You have Drew Brees starting the starting Drew Brees the is a legend. That, right. You're not going to pull Tom Brady because right, it's inconvenient. Because, right. You're, gonna, you're just going to make it work. You're going to figure it out. You're going to let the guy right. work. But, um, but I think you're right. Ultimately, I think if Teddy Bridgewater quarterbacks this game, he's not – you know, he's not – the mobility of Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen even, but he's quick enough in the pocket and he's got quick enough feet to make those off and make a little bit more off-schedule plays. Is the age of the improvising quarterback. You see it with Lamar Jackson. You see it with Mahomes. The quarterback that stands in the pocket gets killed. So now, are you period. saying that if Bridgewater plays this game, the Saints win? 
I think if Taysom Hill gets ten more, five more touches, they win this ball game. I don't I, care I, how. I, touches. But they, I actually agree with that. I think he'll need to be more involved after you saw what he was doing. But I think if Teddy Bridgewater quarterbacks this game, the way he was quarterbacking all season, I, I'm. I don't know. I, I think that's why they play the game. I think it'd be a good game, but I think he stood a better chance against this pressure. That's where Drew Brees, you saw him struggling. He, I, Yes, this, a couple of them were unabated, but a couple of those plays that, you know, he saw the pressure coming and you just saw him backpedal and just kind of spike it down to Camara incomplete or something like that, Teddy might step up differently because he's quicker. Maybe he does. It's that half a second speed that might be, you know what I mean? It's just those yeah. little things. And we can talk about that all day long, but then we have to also talk about the play. In overtime, pretty much a year to the day where the New Orleans Saints got completely and utterly screwed. Utterly. Great throw. Great throw to the corner of the end zone. Great catch by Mason Rudolph. I'm not taking any of that away. Kyle Rudolph. Kyle Rudolph. Him. Whatever. Not Mason Rudolph. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm used to the Steelers in the playoffs. Kyle Rudolph. Tremendous catch. But how in the hell... After all that's happened, especially with the Saints, do you not even review it? There was no review of the play, even though it's a scoring play, and there's all the reviews come from the booth. <laughs> How in the world do you not even look? Act like you care before you screw the Saints over again. Did, see, this is a tough one because do I think it was P.I.? No, I don't when it's all said Jeez, and done. Jeez, you're both wrong then. I don't think it was. You can't call that. That that. It's not except like, for the man, you know, being off balance after the arm goes from bent yeah, to extent. We were talking off before the before the show. I honestly, I thought there was enough contact by the defender early before that, before the the quote unquote push off, before that, so where you, they were just kind of fighting. They, yeah. like, so they were both going. No, ahead. absolutely. Yeah. The hand fighting. There's no problem with the hand fighting. Like that happens on every single play between every corner and why not? And did the corner misplay this? Yes. Let's be honest. With if he turns around, he probably gets a hand on that ball. But at the same time. You didn't even look. Yeah. And then for well, Riveron to the say that, this. oh, this is, you know, it's been consistent with how we've looked at it all year. Nothing you've done is, is consistent, Riveron. You're a joke. Everybody complaining that they didn't even look at it. We don't know that they didn't look at it because they didn't uh, sit there and hold everybody off for two minutes while they, the said, ran off while the they said that we're looking at it. But how many times do, do is there a touchdown that's in question? You're like, are they going to look at that? Are they going to look at that? And they're like, okay, go ahead and kick the field goal. Ever since pass interference was involved in replay. No, but what I'm saying <laughs> is just because they don't stop the clock, just because they don't tell everybody to hold off for two or three right, minutes fair, fair. doesn't mean that they didn't take a second look at it. Yeah, maybe We don't know that they, did, they didn't look at it a couple of times. There's, there's no question. Question. Th- There's th- no question. There's a touchdown. There's no reason, no, no question that he comes down with the ball, two feet in bounds. He has possession. Score is not the question yeah. here. But now that a year removed from when you made pass interference a reviewable play, and the coaches can't do anything in overtime, which is still a stupid rule. That'll probably be the next thing that changes that. due to this. Yeah. How the hell do you not even look at that? Like, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Thing. We don't know that they didn't look. Well, at I think it. I think they like they definitely looked at it a couple of times. But but in the end, what Dave's saying is that they ultimately decided that it's not enough to put it under review and have it be up for like they, it should have been to the point where the ref stopped the celebrating and said this play is under review and and for potential it, pass even even if they didn't change it, then that's a whole different discussion. Then you're at least saying, all right, you know, maybe late in the game they're not going to call that or something like that. I personally, like I said, I didn't agree that I didn't think it was pass interference, but it was kind of in between to the point where if they did call pass interference, I would also see why they called pass interference. Yeah, so no, I be- agree. Because that thought is there and there's like that there's that topic of debate, they should have debated it in New York and on the field and said, let's at least review it. You know, and I agree with that. Day. Like, right. that's the whole reason they made this. And then the whole thing was, Especially we're going to review it under two minutes. Especially in the same that's place just, where the- you screwed them over last time. <laughs> you made this rule because of a play that you screwed them over on, and then you don't enforce the rule. That is the craziest thing. I mean, just for your own personal safety, at least say, hey, we're going to look at this thing. At least as a ref, like, I want to get out to my car in the parking lot at night without being in in fear. It's already New Orleans. I want to make sure I get back out of there. But Kirk Cousins... Yes, we did like that. I will say that. Fantastic <laughs> honestly, game from him. Honestly, uh, I forgot who was doing the game, but whoever said it, uh, was it Aikman maybe? I forgot who was yeah. doing the game. Said that throw to Thielen down to the two. That was, was a bomb. That was, and he was like, that's the greatest throw in Kirk Cousins' career. I, I don't. I, yeah, I agree. I don't care what he did. I don't care if you, I don't, he didn't win the Big Ten, but any throw ever, that, that was, was the dime. best yeah. freaking throw of his career, considering the moment and just everything. He was that was cool. Hit. 
and he was yeah. yeah, and he was getting drilled on the play, right? So. Exactly. It, I mean, and that 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 moves us perfectly on almost to the last game here in the NFC. And talk about guys getting their moment. Seahawks taking on the Eagles. This was supposed to be the moment for Carson Wentz. He may, he drove the team to the you know through the regular season in 2017. Gets hurt with a week or so left and doesn't get to take his team to the playoffs, which is ironic because the same thing happened to him at North Dakota State, which is really, really ironic. He gets hurt before the championship game and doesn't get to play in that championship game. He then gets hurt in the middle of the game, so we have Rickon McCow <laughs> comes in for his first ever playoff game. He tried his hardest in this ballgame. i got to give him all the credit in the world, and you can see the, the post-game interview, which has gone viral, where he's getting all choked up at 40 years old. You know, fantastic job by him, but... Wasn't enough. Seattle wins the, the pretty much the the battle of the uh, walking wounded, seventeen to nine. Seattle moves on. This one was an interesting one because I think it's it's part Russell Wilson coming up nicely, but you saw there was a lot of holes like we've seen in Seattle all season long. Mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of mismanagement by the Philadelphia coaching staff, especially in that fourth quarter, where you're going for it twice on fourth down when you have a chance to kick a field yeah. goal and take the pressure off. Um, there's a lot of storylines here, and none of them are good. And I think the biggest one is we discovered no matter how many injuries you have, you get an injury to your quarterback, and you can't operate. And that's what happened to Philadelphia. Seattle escaped with one this in this game. I mean, if if Wentz doesn't go down, who knows what happens. But the fact that Wentz did go down and the Eagles are sitting there, damn near the whole game with McCown at quarterback, and you can only pull out the victory 17-9, to nine, they're going to have to do some double looking at their plays, double looking at everything, because when they walk into Lambeau next week, that's not going to fly. I mean, Marshall Lynch, I, I, I know all the hype is there in beast mode, and, and he had a touchdown where he dragged three guys into the end zone. He's completely ineffective right now. You can tell he's been on the couch for a year, not in game shape. He had six carries for seven yards. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I, I get it. He's a legend. I get it. He's a, you know, he's a character. He didn't make a damn bit of difference, and if that happens for Seattle again, it's over. Yeah, I think he's just there because he just knows the playbook. That's why they went. That's why they went. I think, in my opinion, they went a guy like Turbin over a guy like C.J. Anderson, despite what C.J. Anderson was able to do in that late playoff push for the Rams last year. Yeah. Um, C.J. Anderson. Uh, I mean, uh, Turbin is a guy that knows the playbook, and same. That's the same thing with Lynch. He yeah, just they know, can come in, just run it, just do it, and uh, and the continuity with Russell and everything. And uh, but this game was really a shame. I mean, it was. Crazy enough that they're down to practice squad receivers, have some hurt <laughs> players. Boston Scott, you know, at running back, and he, he just looks actually really good. He but, does, does he? Boston um, Scott's solid. But, I mean, it's one thing to have that and still have your quarterback, and that's gotten them to the playoffs, but then to have your quarterback go down. And I know once with the injury history and a lot of people who but are – But this is a head injury. That's just And that's exactly it. I was going to say, like, it's one thing if he's like, comes up lame on his hamstring or something. It's like, all right, this guy can't stay healthy. This dude got smashed, you know, uh, crushed Do by – you think that was a dirty hit? Yes. I don't know. Uh, maybe not it, dirty, it, but it should have been flagged. It should have been flagged. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree with I that. Agree with I don't that. think I don't think Clowney's intentions were to like knock him out of the game, but no. I think he was just trying to make a play, Clowney, and I think that helmet to helmet like that and driving it to the head to the ground, we've seen much, much lighter uh calls against quarterbacks. So that <laughs> yeah. was kind of weird. Yeah, and you had Zach Ertz was out there with a flak jacket on that was like yeah. made him look like he had a 15 inch you know bigger waist <laughs> yeah. uh all credit to dallas goddard he had a great game he stepped up nicely he's gonna be a good player for them for a long time yeah. miles sanders had a good game and again shout out to josh mccown to come off the bench in a playoff game your first ever at age 40 and go 18 of 24 yeah he didn't score a touchdown but that's he still kept them in this ball game but yeah. the last quarter was a complete mismanagement by the Philadelphia Eagles, though. Why do you not take the points and take some of the pressure off your offense? They could have had two field goals there, and you're within another field goal of winning. Or two points, yeah. I I agree completely, because if it was Wentz, I would get it. Like, you're going to go for it. You're at your home, go get it. But with McCown there, McCown did his job. McCown's job was not turn the ball over, keep the team afloat, get you into scoring position. He did it twice. And McCown McCown played a hell of a game. We saw him do this with Chicago years back when he had to come in for Jay Cutler, and he kept them afloat and kept them up. And unfortunately, they were treating him like the starting quarterback rather than treating him like the backup, and they had opportunities to score there, and they didn't. But same thing here. Kick those field goals. It's now 17-15. And if you if your defense makes a play, you're going to have to rely on your defense. They're the only people that have health on the team. You yeah. make a play again, you have a shot winning with a field goal or you know or something in those lines. So I agree with you. They should have just taken the points when they could have um, with McCown at quarterback. With Wentz, I would have done the same thing. I would have went for it. 
And I think the biggest thing, too, with, I mean, we talked about Russell Wilson. I think it's pretty obvious that he's not going to win the MVP. Without him, they don't win this ballgame. Even without him, with they all don't the make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt. 18-33, 25. DK Metcalf played out of his mind <laughs> yes, he did. in this ballgame. But Russell Wilson was the only guy running the football for Seattle that had more than two yards to carry. He had that one, uh, what was it, <laughs> yeah. third and third and 15 later on in the game yeah. where he had, what was it, like an 18- to 20-yard run? That yeah. went up the middle? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was nice. So, I mean, Russell Wilson, fair play. If he's not, if he's going to be number two, he's a deserving number two in the MVP race because he's doubt. right there. Now the question is, can he do it in a very, very hostile, potentially very, very frigid conditions in Green Bay? And we'll talk about that. He's done it before. Uh, he has done it before, so that's the biggest question here. But speaking of Green Bay, before we get into the divisional round, we got to talk about the former hitman in Green Bay, Mike McCarthy. The, the coaching carousel has been spinning. We've already talked about Washington hiring Ron Rivera, and we're going to mention them a little bit in a second here because they're taking a very interesting step uh, that they've announced in the next couple days. But this has happened just about an hour or so ago. Dallas has their man. Mike McCarthy has been hired as the full-time head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. This is a very huge deal. This is a proven head coach. Not as not a small personality as Jason Garrett, though, which makes it very interesting that they would go this route, Jerry Jones. But what do we think about this hire? What do we think about this for Dallas? Is this the right move? Or is Jerry Jones? do you think Jerry Jones has finally figured out, okay, we got to spend a little bit of money to get some wins? I'm more surprised. I'm not more blah. I'm more surprised that McCarthy would take this job, not that Jones would yeah. hire McCarthy, yeah. because you know what you're getting when you're working under under Jerry Jones, and we know how McCarthy left the building in Green Bay with all he's the not beef, quiet with all the beef that he had with Aaron Rodgers, the disconnect, yeah. and now he's coming into this Dallas situation where Jerry Jones is anything but quiet. He's the only owner who holds post game press conferences for Christ's <laughs> sake. I mean. Do I like this hire for Dallas? Yes and no. Um, great experienced head coach. Um, has a lot under his resume. But my question is, what are they going to do defensively? I would have I would have liked it more if they would hire a defensive head coach because their offense is ready to win now. Yeah. It's, it's made ready right now to go out, get dubs, and make you to the postseason. But defensively is where their issue is. So now that McCarthy is the head coach, they have to make a huge splash at D.C. And I wonder if these, they're going to let him – keep that you know make that decision on his own um because it's one thing that i've seen um a lot of people talking about this and actually emery uh came up with a good point as well i'll bring it up as soon as i find it but i think he's the right guy to coach this offense he's finally going to let these weapons be used i mean alex what do you think about this because i think offensively i think they got the perfect match for this group yeah i i first of all love the hire and i don't think mike mccarthy takes the job without the understanding of Jerry Jones that to tell Jerry Jones like I understand you own the team but this is my team on the field this yeah. is how I'm going to I'm going to run business yes you're the GM too but this is my team and and I think why I like the McCarthy hire so much is because he's going to bring a presence in that locker room of yes. I've done it before I've won and you're going to do it this way my way I think with Jason Garrett it was like I don't know obviously no one knows because we're not in it but he's just a uh, he's perceived to be like the pushover kind. I'm just going to listen to Jerry Jones. This is, yeah. I'm just kind of re, you know, I'm just going to keep things afloat. This is, we're going to do it my way. And I think if Jerry Jones gives him that type of, um, gives him that type of uh, control, I believe that this is the best hire because I do think he will utilize the offense. The, the, Troy's right. There's nothing wrong with the offense to a point. The problem with the right. offense this year was, was, mismanagement. It, was mismanagement in key games, in big-time games. And yep. it was. And honestly, let's be real, it was the players not stepping up. How many drop passes? How many times was Dak – uh, I mean, Dak had a great season, but how many times on big third and fourth downs was the throw to Zeke behind him? Was, yep. you know, I mean, yes, you can talk, count all the drops before the game, but those big-time moments, I think McCarthy's going to put them in a situation there, and I think he will shore up the defense a little bit. I mean, how many times did we see the cow? It looked like they were just unenthused. It looked like they had just like kind of dream walked through practice and didn't care about the reps. But this, this tweet from Emery uh, again, Emery Hunt at F Ball Game Plan. He is actually down in Florida doing scouting right now for the NFL Draft. Um, tweet uh, from an hour ago. I actually like this move. The Cowboys personnel on offense, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end reminds me a lot of the offense McCarthy ran back in New Orleans. Not his Green Bay days, but the New Orleans days, which. 
you think about it, there's a lot of weapons here. But you're right about the defensive side of this, of this equation because defensively they got better in the second half of the season. But the first thing, they have still got a lot of holes, and you know that's probably where they're going to draft. The question is, does he have the right defensive quarter? It'll be interesting to see who they bring in as the D.C. to manage this group because clearly they have to just clean house everywhere. Right, and uh, I think, yeah, and that's going to that's probably be the big question because I don't think anybody's going to question the offense. And if you look at it, his years that he, history-wise, everybody talks about what Aaron Rodgers was able to do and everything, but the years that he made the run to the Super Bowl and, and had those 10, 11, 12 win years, he always had a guy like Ryan Grant, Amon Green. He always had a running back that, you, that was consistent. What yeah. was his downfall these last couple years in Green Bay? Aaron Jones could not stay healthy. Jamal Williams could not stay healthy. Yep. Who the hell was playing running back? And how many times did we see Bulaga getting helped off the field and all these guys getting helped off the field? Now he's going to have a consistent presence in Zeke and the best offensive line, or at least the top three offensive line in the, in the NFL. So I think he'll be able to make it work no matter what with that with those pieces. Yeah. Um, in regards to his D.C., whoever he chooses is going to be in an amazing, amazing situation because look at all of the talent that they have on that defense. Yeah. They got Byron Jones. They have Van Der Esch, They have Jalen Smith, Demarcus Lawrence. Like, this defense can be dominant. Yeah. So whoever he does bring in is – they're going to have an amazing I, talent to go with it. I think the big question is here, because they paid a lot of those defenders too, the big question is you're going to have to pay Dak. Obviously, we all know that's going to be the big question, or they're going to transition tag and whatever it is going to be. But is Amari Cooper coming back? He's set to be a free agent. That's a big yeah. if. And if Amari Cooper's not there, now you're losing that number one. He's he's also been very good when he's had that Greg Jennings type. He's had that Jordy Nelson mm -hmm. type, yeah. Donald Driver. He, you know, when, when the injuries start to pile up, I mean, obviously that happens to anybody, but – He's, he's going to need that number one receiver to keep the offensive full. The offense is not full. We saw against the Jets without the one game Amari Cooper wasn't there. And Gallup was forced in that number one role. A lot of drops and a lot of, lot of opportunities to move the ball in that game. They didn't. Number one job for Mike McCarthy right now is get them all, all of the big key offensive players sold on what he's going to do. That's the biggest thing that he has to do right now. Let's talk, though, quickly about the rest of the coaching carousel because there still are a few job openings open. But I want to get your opinion on one thing that Washington is apparently doing, the news came out today, is that they are not going to hire a new GM until after the NFL draft. They're going to let pretty much let Ron Rivera draft his own guys, form his own team, and then bring in the GM afterwards. Is this the right way to go about it? Because I think it's questionable to not have a GM for four months. Like, that's the thing. You're not going to have a single GM for four months, and you got one guy making all the decisions on personnel. I think it's a little weird. I don't really have a problem with this because at the end of the day, this gives Rivera no excuses. Because how, 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 how many times do you hear of the head coach saying, oh, well, I didn't pick my guys, this, that, and the other. Well, with this method, Rivera has no excuse. The team rebuild is all in his control from the jump. So come next season, if they're sitting at – Two and fourteen, or at nine and seven, it's it's on him pretty much. What did Bill Parcells say? Uh, if you're gonna hold me responsible for the outcome of the meal or something, at least let me purchase the groceries. And this is mm. what they're doing with Ron Rivera. And honestly, this is what I wanted the Giants to do back in the day before we got rid of Tom Coughlin. I wanted to get rid of Jerry Reese and allow Tom Coughlin to be head coach slash GM, sort of how uh, Belichick does up in New England. And yeah. it's, it's worked completely fine for them, but it can only work with somebody who is a football savant. Yeah, that's, that's what makes sense to me is if – like you're saying, Ron Rivera is the guy who's going to be doing – now he's going to be doing the drafting this year, right? And obviously he has to if they're really going to wait till after the draft. He's going to be head, uh, handling all the personnel. And then it, my my thing I don't like about this is if you're going to hire a GM after that, what's the point? Ron Rivera, I agree. Ron Rivera's he's going to be in charge of personnel. Now, if you're telling that GM you're handling administrative duties, you're going to be fielding calls about trades, but it's pretty much going to be under – it's pretty much Ron Rivera giving you the okay rather than the other way around. I mean, that's an interesting take, but at least Rivera still has control of the team. If you're hiring a GM who's just like, yeah, you got these guys, but I kind of like these guys, and all of a sudden, by year two or three in the in the contract, you're like, well, that's when the you know the BS starts. It's like, well, I didn't want these guys he brought in. I like the guys I was bringing in. Like, it just it's just like setting up a disaster. Like, if you're gonna get a GM, just have him be an administrative guy to Rivera and pretty much handle all the paperwork, like, and just let Rivera pick the personnel. Would you say this? This is sort of the the opposite of what the Jets did last season. 
Uh, what, what happened with the Jets last season? They yeah. let they let McCagnin draft yeah, everybody with Gase yeah. as the head coach. Yeah. And then Gase is like, yeah, I don't really – I'm not too fond of all of this. They let go of McCagnin and then, and then bring in Gase's job. At least this way, there's no turmoil within the franchise. Rivera gets who he wants. And then I'm sure later on when they do hire that GM, it's probably going to be a guy that Rivera wants that comes in the building. Yeah. So you might as well just make Rivera the GM then. That I agree. Yeah, and that's what, yeah, I agree. That that's the point where it's like, all right, if you're gonna do that, I get it. But and, yeah. you're gonna bring in GM after and let him have a say on the personnel. That's the part I just don't get. It's like you're one way, and then you're already changing course with a different mind. It's you know, a very it's, it it's a very Cleveland sense. move. It's a very <laughs> Cleveland Brown move. Which by the way, Speaking they're of. doing the same thing, but they don't have a clue. So they don't have a coach. <laughs> there's the difference. So they're they're still looking there. Matt Rule now is apparently the front runner that the Giants want as their next head coach. I don't know if that's a done deal because he, he said a couple times, A, he shut down the Jets a couple years ago or last year when they wanted him as a head coach they there. why, right? Exactly, yeah, because he didn't he, want him to choose his assistants. He, he is, it, and the main reason was because he did not want – the Jets wanted Adam Gase as the offense coordinator, and Matt Rule said, I want to pick my guys, and they said, we want Adam Gase in the organization. Next thing you know, I'm Gase the head coach. But now the question is, is he the next man for Big Blue? So that's that's a question mark. But there's still a lot a lot of uh, lot of question mark. Bienemy is in all over the place doing interviews. He's mm-hmm. I mean, if there's one part of Kansas City has really looked good, it's been what he's been in charge of. So maybe he's a guy to move in. There's still a lot of fluid pieces. We might not have any. I don't think we're going to see any more hires until after the playoffs are over. That's 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 my thought on it. Or at least until after. The championship well, round. I was listening before um, to a couple of shows that were following the Matt Rule situation. Yeah. And uh, a lot of them are saying that Matt Rule has decided to, after he interviewed with Carolina as well, but then he's ended his, um, like, I guess, his little tour of interviews and stuff for now because instead of making a decision right away, he's going to Cabo with his family. So this dude is playing the NFL. <laughs> he knows the, 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 you know, everybody wants him sort of deal. So He's playing the Antonio Brown. Yeah, and he's got, I don't have to do it. I don't, I don't blame him. No, I, I do the same thing. Like, and he knows he, I got the fallback in Baylor that they love me down there, and my quarterback doesn't get hurt. Different podcast, different show, but his quarterback doesn't get hurt. <laughs> they may come back and win that game. But, um, like, oh, you know, man. but, like, he he's pretty much living life at the – Listen, I got a great job, get paying a lot of money where I am, where I'm loved. I'll, you know, if the, situation's right, if the situation's right, I, I'll, let me go to Cabo and think about it. <laughs> I'll, I'll think about it. Yeah, it must be nice to just say on a whim, <laughs> yeah, let me go to Cabo. Maybe right next to Zeke with the two of them when uh, like, Zeke was hey, holding out. how's it going? <laughs> so we'll keep an eye on the coaching situation. But, again, the big story coming out today as we're recording this, Mike McCarthy is guaranteed all but introduced as the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys or the Fighting Jerry Joneses, as they are officially <laughs> known here. Let's, though, move into and back into the playoffs, and we go into the divisional round now. And, again, as juicy and delicious as this wild card round was, this divisional round has got some real interesting storylines mm-hmm. to it. So let's mm-hmm. start with the games on Saturday. They're going back. They go. It, I find it weird. The wild card round, they did AFC, AFC, NFC, NFC. They're not doing that for the divisional yeah. round. They're doing back to the normal segment. But let's start with the Saturday games. We'll start with the number one seeds that are actually both playing on Saturday. The 425 game, San Francisco 49ers now rested. Top seed in the NFC taking on the Minnesota Vikings. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to put it out there. Kirk Cousins is still not playing in primetime. It's a 425, <laughs> 435 start. I still think they have a shot in hell. But the Vikings... Show that they've got their weapons maybe back in tune last week. San Francisco, we know their defense is incredible, but they can't sleep now on Minnesota. This is a team that's got a little confidence going. Absolutely not, because Minnesota's defense is pretty nice as well. And last I know, Garoppolo still hasn't blown my doors off, at least. I mean, he may have done it to the Cardinals. The doubters. The doubters are everywhere. I mean, he still, I still haven't been wowed by him. I still haven't seen him solely win a game other than the Arizona Cardinals. And this Vikings team is arguably one of the most complete teams in the league. They can throw it out the gym. They can run right through you. They can stop you on every facet on defense. This is going to be a good matchup, a very good matchup. Last I checked, football's 11 on 11, is it not? That it is. It's not 1 on 11? Absolutely. All right, so just making sure. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I'm looking at this and I, I'm looking at the six and a half point spread, and I'm like, it, it really? Because like, I just, I think that's interesting. I, yeah, because I just feel like, obviously, the 49ers are going to be the favorites in this game, but 
I mean, the way the Vikings play, they looked like a complete like you. I think if before the playoffs started, right before everyone had to pick their NFC team, I think majority of the football world was going to pick the New Orleans Saints to go to the Super Bowl, or yep. you know, and I mean, just for the way they handled the Saints. Um, I mean, I don't know if the defense gives an effort like they did, and they stop the running game like they stopped Kamara and company. I mean, you're you're going to be forced to have Jimmy G beat you, and the way Rhodes and company were playing out there in the secondary, Sandejo and everybody were letting these receivers breathe. And in my opinion, Michael Thomas is better than any receiver that's that plays for San Francisco. So this is going to be maybe they have more complete staff, San Francisco, but this is going to be a tight game. Uh, if I'm the Vikings. Goal number one is to shut down the run. If you shut down the run, I think the Vikings can take this. The one X factor that I see from San Francisco that New Orleans did not have on offense, tight end play. Because Greg Kittle is another type of beast. If Garoppolo can find him consistently, they can take all that pressure off that run game without even going to their wideouts. That's the biggest thing. And San Francisco's defense finally is healthy after a couple of weeks. They have all their pieces back. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's they haven't had to face a player like Kittle last week. Yes, Thomas is there and Rhodes and company. They kind of took turns stepping up on him, but uh, Kittle is a, diff- a different animal because now you're forcing your linebackers and your safeties to play coverage and make big time plays on a big time player. And it's one of the few times where a linebacker is going to be out muscled by a guy. Yeah, like linebackers against a wideout. Yeah, they don't have the speed and they don't have the height, but they can out muscle the wide receiver. They can yeah. out muscle a running back for the most part. Greg Kittle, you can't outmuscle. So that's going to be the big question for me is what does San Francisco, how does Minnesota not just shut down the running game, but the tight end play I think is going to be huge. Let's go to the other Saturday game, the other number one seed, the Baltimore Ravens. They got a nice day to they had a nice week to relax. Lamar Jackson had the last week of the season off, but now they got Tennessee coming to town, and this one is intriguing to me because if we learned anything from Frable last week. He doesn't give a damn who's on your sideline. He doesn't even care who's on his own sideline. There's that one a clip of him. I don't care who the F he is. I don't know yeah. who he is. So Tennessee's not going to be intimidated by this. They have a quarterback in Tannehill that has taken all of the bottomless pit of lack of confidence that he had has turned it into a mountain that he's climbed over the years. Does Tennessee have enough, though, on defense because to shut down this Baltimore team? Because let's be honest, New England's offense, we know they've not been very strong. This is a totally different beast with Lamar Jackson. Does Tennessee have the pieces? I don't know if they do. Um, the only way I see Tennessee hanging in this game is if they go score for score with them. They have to go score for score and dominate time of possession. Score here. for score with Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. Who mm-hmm. would have thought that a year ago? I know. I mean, the Baltimore has a number one rushing offense. Tennessee has a number three rushing offense. So when Baltimore scores, Tennessee is going to have to go on a seven, eight-minute drive and score again. It's going to be them having to go score for score, like I said, but eating up clock while they do it. And Baltimore's defense, we've seen it before. They've When they get into track meets, they get into a little bit of trouble. So that's going to be the question now. If they can't stop Henry. Yep, that was going to be my point. Is that that's, that's, that's what's going to make this game interesting. You're going to need Tannehill to throw for more, 70, more than 72 yards in this yeah. game. You're going, need, you're, going need, <laughs> you're going to need what Ryan Tannehill has been the last eight weeks of this season. But this is a game that I'm like, I'm still looking at the spread. Maybe I have a problem. I don't know. But I'm looking at the spread, and it's nine points, and I'm like, if how has the Ravens, if they have struggled, like they struggled early on the defense and then they stepped up, but what was the one key? And you said it. They they allow a lot of rushing yards. They allow uh, teams. We saw Chubb beat them pretty much by himself with 150 yards and three touchdowns. We've seen this happen to them where they get gashed, but their offense has been so electric that if you don't score one or two drives, you're going to be in a hole and teams give up on the run. If they can control the clock and Derrick Henry can do his thing like he did last week, Tannehill maybe gets involved in the running game a little bit more that we're used to seeing him in what he did in Miami and plays uh, complete football, this could be a situation where um, they they can keep this game close. Now, it's it's going to have to – they're going to have to light up the scoreboard because yes. you know when Baltimore gets the ball, they're going to go down the field and they're going to score quick. But, right. but you have a chance to keep them off the field. You have the t- you pretty much have the team – the recipe to beat Baltimore, it's you have to execute on both sides perfectly. There, there are two different types of defenses that have been really good in the NFL this year. There's been the disciplined defense, which is what we saw from New England, and the athletic defense, which is what we see from San Francisco. Tennessee falls into more of that disciplined defense. And yeah. what we learned from anything with the Baltimore Ravens, it doesn't matter if you're disciplined. They're going to beat you that way. So you're right. It's going to come down to whether or not they can control that clock and actually go score for score and... I think they got a shot in hell in this game. 
I think I'm gonna th- I'm gonna throw that out there. I think Baltimore's yeah. a chance to lose in this ball game. The one thing that I will, two things that I would say that work in the favor of Tennessee is that they had to see Deshaun Watson twice a year, a mobile yeah. quarterback, a guy yep. who can definitely get it done with his arm, and they have Mariota in there. So simulating more quietly, yes, yeah. simulating <laughs> Lamar Jackson in practice, they 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 go against a quarterback all off season and and OTAs and everything else in Mariota who will pull down and run it like they've practiced against yeah. that. Granted, their offense is nothing compared to with the quarterback running is nothing compared to what Baltimore can do. But this week, simulating Lamar Jackson, you know that they're going to have Mariota in there, somebody who can throw and run as well. And quietly, Mariota is going to be something that Baltimore is going to have to prepare for as well mm-hmm. because they used him last week. Frable, again, he went through all the playbook. He went back to chapter like 17 in the index for his playbook that, last week. That's what makes them dangerous is the, the I don't give a crap and I'm throwing everything at you. Like I I, they're put, playing every game like it's the last game. Oh, yeah, they're going to put like a defensive lineman in at tight end yeah. and they don't care because that's going to be the best guy for the job. So that's going to be it'll be interesting to see how the how Mr. Hallbar adjusts as this game goes along because I think he's going to have to. Let's go into Sunday, and this is, I think, though, the most intriguing game of the week. Houston, Kansas City. This one is really interesting. First of all, the Texans get an extra day of rest thanks to the Titans winning against New England. So they get an extra day to prepare for Kansas City. You know what Mahomes has been able to do. We've seen the Chiefs' defense, though, step up, which we haven't seen in the last couple of years. That's going to be the key for them. But now Deshaun Watson has a playoff win. Now Bill O'Brien has a playoff win. That gorilla is off their back. This one, I think, comes down to the last possession. I think that's how tight this game could be. I think this might be the game of the weekend here because, oh, I yeah. mean, these both of these quarterbacks drafted in the same round, same year, you know, both of them are probably forever going to be linked for their careers. Yeah. And similar to a point, the two quarterbacks. Yeah. Similar to yeah. a point. Yeah. I, I would say that Watson is probably a little bit more mobile, but Mahomes has no issue He's got using the his legs. Mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Using his legs, and you know he could throw the ball 80 yards, 80 yards through the air. You got the Legion of Zoom on one side, <laughs> and then you got the the arguably the best receiver in the league in DeAndre Hopkins on the other side. I think this is going to be an absolute shootout, and like you said, going down to probably the last possession. Maybe another OT game. Yeah. You think Mitch Trubisky is actually watching this game? <laughs> oh, <laughs> just, no. You think he's just like, no. Nah. No, you just see Bears fans are just huddled around a TV, just <laughs> just like they're, 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 they're emotionally eating ice cream like, this could have been our quarterback. Or, or Woody our J- defenses are better. Our defense is better. What happened? Or Woody, or Woody Johnson as well. Oh no! Oh, that's just cruel and unusual. That's just cruel and unusual. Pew, pew, pew. No, let's not. No, let's not let's do this. Let's no not pews. do this. No more pews. Um, On to the next game. <laughs> no, but like again, I'll, third game in a row. I'll bring it up. Nine and a half point spread. I mean, Vegas likes the blowouts here. I think Houston has, if if anything, they're the team. I think it happened like maybe once this year they got blown out. For the most part, it doesn't matter who they play. They're going to keep up, and they're going to play this game. I understand they got the week off, Kansas City. I understand that they're pretty much fully healthy. Damian Williams, in my opinion, is the best back for that team, and he's healthy again. You saw the difference. It looked like old Kansas City those last couple weeks. The defense has played better, but Deshaun, Fa- uh, Deshaun Watson has that it factor, and yeah. I, I think – they're, they saw a better defense in Buffalo and was able to handle the noise and was able to do their do their job. Um, and if they had played a better first half, it could have really taken, you know, they could have really put Buffalo away early on, but they got outplayed. If they could come out and play full, four full quarters against the Chiefs, this would be the shootout we all wanted to see. And honestly, in my opinion, it comes down to what quarterback has the ball at the end. Deshaun Watson is no doubt the biggest key to winning for the Houston Texans. But the biggest emotional moment of the last week was J.J. Watt. The sack. That first sack, that first time he got involved, it completely flipped the game on his head. If he get, makes a play in the first quarter, that's going to get the entire defense fired up. And we mentioned it with Merciless on the other side. This is the defense not to be messed with. The big key, though, the X factor here for me in this game is Arrowhead. You're talking about one of the most intimidating places to play that's not a dome in the NFL. This is going to be a really, and you don't know what the weather could be. It could be 70 degrees. It could be snowing. You don't know what's going to happen in Kansas City. This is going to be a bizarre game for an outdoor or indoor team going outdoors. I got to represent the sorrow over here. It doesn't matter who's home or away. <laughs> it doesn't matter who's home or away. Everybody comes to play. Three of four away teams won last week. And honestly, you can make the argument with the bad blindside call on uh, on Buffalo. True. Four road teams could have won last week. True. True. That's a definitely a good point. And you're... 
to throw out another Emeryism, size is not a skill. We're seeing that with Deshaun Watson. Who needs a six foot six quarterback out of I don't know Clemson? Uh, moving on to the final game here. I do. I, I could use that. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> the last game here on Sunday, Lambeau Field, Seahawks taking on the Packers again. This is a very similar to the Seahawks Eagles matchup where there's both teams have so many holes that you could see like mm-hmm. easily. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be an expert. Can I interrupt you for one second? Sure. There is breaking news. There is breaking news. I know it's playoff, and this has nothing to do with the playoffs, but it is breaking, and I want to catch it after. Tua has announced he is entering the NFL draft. He's coming to Miami, folks. He's coming to Miami. We'll see what happens. Poor Fitzpatrick's last game as the Dolphins are going to be beating the Patriots in Foxborough. Poor guy. (laughs) Screwed again. (laughs) Sorry. Continue on with the non-nonsense. It's not Fitzpatrick. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, But you talk about two teams that have so many holes that you don't need to be an expert to see on both sides of the ball, and yet they somehow still win. So now the question is... How in the world, because Seattle has to move the ball better, but you could say the same thing about Green Bay. Their offense has not been ecstatic either. Defensively, both of these teams are relatively solid. I love the fact that Houston and Kansas City and Seattle and Green Bay are both on the same day. Because it's the antithesis of each other. Both on the same day. I mean, this matchup, the Seahawks and the Packers, you got Rodgers who can single-handedly win the game, Russell Wilson who can single-handedly win the game. This is going to be a good – this is – I can't wait for this one. I really can't because, like you said, you got two teams who you don't know which offense is going to show up that day. They can kill it with the run. They can kill it with the pass. Defenses step up when they want. Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen in this matchup. Like, you can't. What's the spread on this one, Alex? No, I'll tell you right now. It's uh, <laughs> minus four, Green Bay. Green Bay minus four. I, I'm taking Seattle on that. If Green Bay yeah. win, the winner of this game is going to win by three points. Yeah, honestly, they can't, this, this may come down to a field goal game, and that's where I will give the credit or the uh, advantage to Green Bay with with uh, Crosby over Myers. Myers has been a good qu- uh, kicker for them, and it was great for the Jets last year making the Pro Bowl, but uh, he's still not as consistent, and kicking up in Lambeau is a big deal, I think. But I think in the end, it ultimately comes down to a three-point game. This is, I mean, you can't build this up anymore with the way these two quarterbacks handle their offenses, especially uh, Russell Wilson, because it seems like every week he's pulling out some sort of trick in order to figure, you know, to like, how did he do that? How did they win this game? And I feel like that's going to be one of those situations where we're going to, at the end of this day, not saying they might win the game, but at the end of the day, you're going to be like, how did Russell keep this close? How did Russell do this? How did Russell yeah. do this? And um, I mean, it's, it, it is Aaron Rodgers and it is home, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in Lambeau, but it's just going to be a great, great game. And um yeah, I, I, I actually don't have a pick for this game. I'm, from a betting standpoint, I'm not touching this game. But I just I, – I, I have no idea what to expect except just, like, the two best quarterbacks going at it. little story time real quick. When I was a little kid, I went to see an independent <laughs> baseball game in Newark. I saw the Newark Bears play, and Ricky Henderson was on the team at that time. End of his career, he was 46-47. You know, end of his era. The game I saw him play, he still stole three bases in that game. And you watch it and you're thinking, we're witnessing the end of an era we're not going to see again. That's how I feel watching this game with Aaron Rodgers. Breeze and Roethlisberger didn't make the playoffs. Uh, Rivers and Roethlisberger didn't make the playoffs. Breeze is out. Brady's out. The last of the old guard left in this playoff field is Aaron Rodgers. And I could not think of a better guy in a fourth quarter if you need him. For one drive, we've seen it before with ridiculous passes mm-hmm. to the sideline mm-hmm. with a 4.5% catch probability that find their way to the hands of the right guy. That clutchness that uh, you're talking about, both quarterbacks who have this level of clutchability in the fourth quarter, that's beyond maybe anything that we see. That, again, we, don't, we haven't seen Lamar Jackson in that situation yet. We haven't really seen Mahomes in that situation yet. We've seen both of these guys do it consistently. Last guy, whoever has the ball wins. And I'm taking your advice. I'm not taking any bets. Although it's going to be a little awkward on the TV show later on, on the Game Plus <laughs> Network, the NFL 32, <laughs> when you do best bets. Because I don't think you're going to have one for this game. I think, actually, Troy's got this game. Troy's, Troy's got NFC. That's why I said that. I strategically <laughs> said that because Troy's got NFC. So <laughs> this one is going to be – I mean, I think this one's going to be – I don't know if it's going to be high scoring or low scoring, though. That's the thing. Like, in terms of the over-under, I'm not touching that bet for sure because – I can see it being in the 20s. I can see it being in the 20s. I can see it being – Seven six, I can see it in the forties. That's the thing. It's going to be a wild and wacky game. It's going to be at Lambeau Field. You know that place is going to be electric. 
you know that they know that Rogers is running out of time as well. Probably yeah. snow. Probably, <laughs> yeah. So it'll be 70 degrees, like 20 minutes away. Green Bay, nope, snow globe. <laughs> Snowing, cold, frigid. But as you just mentioned with Kansas City, home field really doesn't matter anymore. Nope. At least not in this NFL. Especially, so especially now with Seattle. Seattle does not care where they play. They're gonna they're yeah. gonna give you. They, are they? They were undefeated, right, to end the season at, uh, on the road or yeah, one I think loss? so. Yeah. Um, I mean, the NFL gods owed us this because what we what were we most excited for with the Seahawks and the and the Eagles? We were excited about the two most clutch this year quarterbacks in the fourth quarter going at it in the fourth quarter. Who's gonna have the upper hand? They owed us this with having Russell Wilson and Aaron <laughs> Rodgers facing off against each other. They're pretty much, like we said a couple episodes ago, they're right now probably your prime elite right now. Rodgers yeah. towards the back end of that. Russell pretty much entering that or in that. And then you've got, like, the Mahomes-Watson, right? Like, they're the, the next up and two, coming, right? That's, yeah. And Lamar Jackson. You have those two, three that are right there. So the fact that we're getting on the same day, both of those – paired off against each other that's freaking awesome so it's going to be i mean to say that the wild card weekend was entertaining is an understatement to say that this upcoming divisional round might be one of the most entertaining one of the best we've ever seen is un is unthinkable but i think we're heading that direction i just don't want to throw a quick stat out there uh backtracking just a little bit um to my my vikings point the last three teams to lose a fumble on an opening drive of a playoff game all won the super bowl Get out of here. Uh, Eagles, <laughs> random, that's an ESPN random ass stat. The Eagles in like. 2017. Thank you, Elias <laughs> yeah, I like this one, though. The Eagles in 2017, the Seahawks in 2013, and the Ravens in 2012. All fumbled on their opening drive of the postseason, all won the Super Bowl. So your call, are you willing to say on the NFL All 32 podcast? Kirk Cousins is going to be a Super Bowl victory <laughs> if champion. Kirk, if Kirk Cousins goes through Garoppolo, then knocks off either Rodgers or Wilson before knocking off Lamar Jackson or Mahomes, this will be the greatest underdog story of all time. So are you calling that the Ravens or the Chiefs are making it to the Super Bowl? You know what the ulti- <laughs> the ultimate prop bet is? You know what the ultimate prop bet is? Titans, Minnesota. Titans, Kirk Minnesota. Cousins versus Ryan Tannehill. If you, if you took that last Super week, I'm sure Bowl. the odds are like plus like 2,000 something. Maybe Probably more. more than Only that. Only 2,000? I was going to say 20,000 probably. Uh. That, that, that'll be the, that's the hot take. If all things, if, if that happens, we know the world is ending. <laughs> we know the world is ending if we get a Tannehill versus freaking Garoppolo. Uh, it's it just mind-blowing. Anyway, folks, that's going to do it for the NFL All-32 podcast. I think Emery will be back next week, so we'll get to, uh, I'm sure he'll have a few points of contention uh, similar to Stephen A. The blasphemy has <laughs> come out of your mouths. Uh, but he should be back with us next week to preview the championship round. We're already talking about the championship round. The divisional round will be broken down. For Troy Anthony, Alex Marinoni, I've been David Hasek, and enjoy the divisional round, and thanks for listening in.